All right, so uh, Pastor Jeremy and Danielle got to celebrate uh, anniversary this week, and rather than uh, make him uh, prepare a sermon while he was on vacation, um, I uh, get the privilege to fill in. So we've been going through a series called Faithful. Uh, Throughout this series, we've been looking at how God is faithful to uphold His promises, Uh, And we've been doing this by examining his covenants throughout redemptive history. Um, So uh, the first week we looked at his covenant with Noah, and he made this covenant uh, after the the flood. uh, And his covenant was to never destroy the world with the flood again. Uh, And then we looked at his covenant with Abraham. Uh, To Abraham, he promised a nation, he promised land, he promised uh, blessings, Uh, And he promised uh, a name to make a name for Abraham, as well as blessings for the entire world through Abraham's family. Uh, And as a sign, Abraham and his descendants were uh, to be circumcised. That was their portion of uh, this covenant. Uh, And God ended up fulfilling that promise through the nation of Israel. And then last week, Jeremy taught us about the Mosaic Covenant. Um, This was God's covenant uh, with Moses that gave the Israelites and, and gave us the law. Um, uh, we were given this law uh, not so that uh, we could uh, obey it perfectly. We were not expected to. We are not able to. Um, but so that we could understand uh, the depth and the weight of our sin. And so this week, uh, we continue our long, slow trek towards Jesus Um, Because ultimately, that's where the covenants lead us, right? We're going to see uh, God's redemptive plan come even more into focus through his covenant with David. Uh, So we're going to read, uh, we're going to be in a lot of the Bible, but our primary text is 2 Samuel 7, uh, verses 1 through 17. So let's read together. Now, when the king lived in his house, the king David... And the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom." 
He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Okay, so um, setting the stage a little bit, uh, the Israelites made it to the promised land. Uh, They went through the period of the judges. Uh, For the most part, they conquered all of the nations living in Canaan in the promised land. And they've called for a king because everybody else has a king. We should have a king too. Um, and they chose Saul. Um, Saul was basically chosen because he was really big and really pretty. Um, and uh, because he was not the man who God chose, he didn't work out. Uh, ended up not following God in a few different uh, instances. And so God replaced him with David. David's been king for a while. Uh, he's won some wars. He's defeated some enemies. Um, He's done some things, some good things, some bad things, and now he's entered into a period of rest from war. And it's customary in the ancient Near East, uh, particularly in a time of rest from war, to uh, build a temple, build a a house to honor, honor the God of that city, the God of that nation. So that's what David tells Nathan that he wants to do. And God responds through a message sent to Nathan. He tells David um, that he's never needed a temple before. You know, in the time of the judges, in the time of of Moses, in the time of Joshua, um, I was in a tent and I was still able to be God. I was still um, able to do all the things that I needed to do. And there was never a time when I said to the judges, you need to build me a house, right? Um, God was still able to be God despite his living arrangement, Um, he doesn't need a house. And then God makes a promise to David. Um, He says that he will provide a place for Israel and protect them from their enemies. And then in verse 11, God says that he will make David a house. Uh, Now, he's not saying that he's going to make David a physical house because he already has one. He's got his house of cedar. Instead, David wanted to make God a physical house to stay in. But God promised David an eternal house, an eternal dynasty. Uh, He goes on to say that um, God will have a physical house built for him, but it's not going to be built by David. It's going to be built by Solomon. Uh, Verse 13 says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his kingdom forever. Uh, And then in verse 14, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So remember that. We're going to come back to that later um, uh, because it's important. Uh, And even though the word covenant isn't used in this passage uh, and we don't see the usual covenant rituals, we don't see a covenant meal, we don't see um, the typical things that we've seen in the past, this is still a covenant with David. Um, God is still making a promise to David that his dynasty Uh, will be eternal. Someone on his line is going to be on the throne forever. 
uh, and the covenant with, that God establishes with David uh, has both unconditional and conditional aspects. So far, uh, most of the covenants that we've looked at have been conditional, right? Uh, the covenant with Abraham, uh, he and his people were required to be circumcised. The covenant with Moses, they were required to follow the law. And if they followed the law, they would be blessed. If they didn't follow the law, they would be cursed. Uh, and in this case, um, there are conditions, but there are also parts of this covenant that are unconditional. Uh, the covenant that God establishes, um, he will never take the dynasty away from David. It was always going to be fulfilled. Um, and we saw that in our call to worship reading. right? Verse 4 of Psalm 89 says, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. In fact, Psalm 89 along with Psalm 132 are... Um, the Psalms that actually calls God's promise to David a covenant. They are the, they are the, the, um, the parts of the Bible that label this covenant what it is. But we also see that it is conditional. Second uh, Samuel 7.15 says, I will discipline him with the rod of men. Those kings who don't obey God won't receive God's blessings, just like the Israelites who didn't obey the law, just like the members of Abraham's family who uh, didn't obey the sign of circumcision. Uh, these kings would be disciplined, uh, some of them even removed, um, but God's promise to observe David's line would always be upheld. So verse 15, it says, I will discipline him with the rod of men, but my steadfast love will never depart from him. And then in verse 16, he says, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So R.C. Sproul says, The promise of an enduring Davidic kingdom has been called the summit of the entire Old Testament. So when you look back from the Davidic covenant, you see the path from Abraham to David. And when you look ahead, you see the culmination of God's promise to David in Jesus. So we're going to do that a little bit. We're going to start by standing on the summit of the Old Testament and looking back and seeing how God's covenants had led to this point. In Genesis 3.15, uh, we see God's promise to defeat the enemy through the offspring of Eve. This is the first promise deliverer. And we see this uh, very broad scope of God's plan, right? So we see um, the, the promised person is one of every, some of everybody, right? It's, it's somebody who comes from everybody. So it's very broad scope. Uh, and then Abraham comes along, God makes a covenant with him. God would make him a great nation, would make his name great, and all the earth would be blessed through him. In fact, when God formalized his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17, he said, I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. So even then, God was hinting about his plan. So we have this very broad uh, scope, and it funnels down just a little bit from everybody to a member of Abraham's family, a descendant of Abraham. Uh, at the end of Genesis, we see that funnel narrow even further. Uh, Genesis 49.10 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So, we've gone from a descendant of Eve. I just lost my place, which is awesome. Uh, 
which includes everyone, to a descendant of Abraham, to a descendant of the tribe of Judah. And with each promise, God is narrowing in on this person, this one person who will be the everlasting king. And what's amazing, though, is even as the recipient of the promise becomes more and more narrow, the beneficiaries stay the same. The offspring of Eve that will crush the serpent will free the whole world from the grip of sin and death. Abraham's seed will bless all of the nations. The king from the tribe of Judah will ultimately come from the line of David, and his kingdom will be a heavenly kingdom. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. So what you get with God's covenant with David is David as the true son of Abraham. God's covenant with Abraham will be established through David. So the Davidic covenant takes the promise of an elect seed in the covenant of Abraham and places it on David. And so now we've reached the summit, as Sproul said. Uh, we've looked back and we've seen how the Old Testament promises of God have built to this point. And now we can look forward and see how God's covenant with David was fulfilled. Because after all, what we're learning, what we're reminding ourselves of is God is faithful to fulfill what he promises. So without going king by king, um, we know that it didn't work out well for most of David's family. Um, I was in uh, teaching junior high a couple years ago, and we were talking about um, the kings, and this girl raised her hand, and she said, there were, and I don't remember the number because she was smarter than me, um, there were this many kings in Israel and this many kings in Judah, and it was like, Almost all of these kings were evil, and almost all of those kings were evil, and there were like four good kings. And I was like, I'm, I'm impressed you know that. Um, I didn't, and now I have to go study. Um, but it's true. Like most of the reigns of, of these kings were, were unfaithful. Um, and during the reigns of the faithful kings, God blessed not only the king, but the entire nation. And during the reigns of the unfaithful kings, God cursed the nation, allowing them to be defeated by their enemies, and ultimately they were sent into exile. Now, to be clear, the Jews weren't being punished just because of the actions of their kings. Um, but what we see is, as the king goes, so go the people. So when the king was wicked, the people were generally wicked. When the king was righteous, the people were generally righteous. But eventually they did end up in exile. But even in exile, God still promised to uphold his covenant and establish his eternal kingdom through the line of David. And we see that in a few different places. We're going to read a couple of them, not all of them. Uh, Isaiah 55.3 says, Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Jeremiah 33.17 says, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And he even takes it a step further, a couple verses down, saying in verses 20 and 21, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David my servant may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. So God may have punished his people because of their wickedness and sent them into exile out of the land of promise, 
But it was never in his intention to break his covenant with David. He says, if you can't make the day and night come at different times, then you can't make God break his covenant with David. And while the Jewish exiles could still have hope for a promised king, they still didn't know who that would be. But they were preparing for a messianic hope that would come. Which brings us back to 2 Samuel 7 14, which I told you to remember, and now we're there. When God says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And we see that applied to the one that we know is the Messiah, the promised one from the line of David, over and over again in the New Testament. Uh, Acts 13.33 says, This he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. It's a reference to Psalm 2, which itself is a reference to 2 Samuel 7:14. Psalm 2, 7 and 8 says, I will tell of the Lord, will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. Uh, again in Hebrews 1:5, it says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The author of Hebrews is pointing out that God never said that to any of his angels, but he did say that of Jesus, and he said that of Jesus to David. Uh, God himself proclaims of Jesus when, God, when John baptized him, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Uh, but the New Testament goes beyond just references to this one verse in proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah and as the Lord. The angel Gabriel tells Mary in the book of Luke, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Uh, In three different times of his life, we see Peter proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, First, when he walked with Jesus as his disciple, he said, He, being Jesus, said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, Not long after Jesus ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of God, Peter said in Acts, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Uh, And finally, late in his life, he wrote in 1 Peter 3, Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Peter knew what the other apostles knew and what we know. Jesus, the branch of David spoken of by the prophets, was not just king of Israel, but king over all nations. God said of the Davidic house and kingdom that it is my house, my kingdom. In other words, God's eternal heavenly kingdom was actually present in and expressed through the Davidic kingdom, and it would eventually be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So we not only see God fulfilling his covenant with Abraham through David, but because Jesus fulfilled God's covenant with David, he also is the ultimate fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. 
That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So we can have confidence that God is faithful in his promises to us precisely because he was faithful to uphold his promises in and through the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus the Christ. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus died as the payment of our sins. That's true and glorious and we should rejoice in it. But the gospel doesn't stop there. It's also good news that Jesus, as the promised king, now reigns at God's right hand in the heavenly kingdom. It is Jesus who has dominion over the earth. It is Jesus who is the fulfillment of God's promises. And it is in Jesus' kingdom that we find freedom from the slavery of the world. Uh, That's all I have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for Jesus. We are thankful for his lordship for his rule and reign over the earth. We are thankful for Jesus as the fulfillment of your promise to David uh, to establish his line, his dynasty forever. Um, We are thankful for all that that means for us, for the freedom that we have to live in the kingdom of God um, apart from uh, the the sin and the slavery of this world. I pray that we would be reminded of that as we go through our day, that we would remember that um, that our true freedom is in you and in your kingdom. God, we thank you most of all for your promises and for your faithfulness to fulfill them uh, each and every day. God, we love you and we praise you. You are awesome. We lift all these things up in the name of Christ. Amen.